Club, a weekly opportunity to have or hear serious discussions with smart people who want to build a community around love and help. We address serious issues in non-polarizing ways. Our currency isn't money, it's the Karma Coin, a creator coin that supports 75 other digital creators and entrepreneurs. You can join the fund at rally.io slash creators slash karma and you can learn about Dr. Francine Hardaway, Karma Club founder, at Linktree slash Karma Club. Oh, well, that was awesome. By, by awesome, I mean I heard it. This <laughs> is the first week we've been able to hear it. I've been tweaking uh, it. Yes. Well, it sounds very good. So let me tell you, first of all, let me make you a moderator. And let me invite people out. Yeah, let me let me tell you that we have a special thing happening today, which is a Thanksgiving. Hello, Nina. Thank you so much for helping this, me out. Um, Hello. <clears throat> let me tell you, uh, we are giving karma coins out to people who come to this room today in honor of American Thanksgiving, which as Heyman did not know, but some of you know, um, is actually next Thursday. Uh. So there will be no show next Thursday because we will all be giving thanks for what a great year uh, some of us have had and giving thanks for what a great year uh, some of us are going to give other people next year. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Heyman will pin, pin the link um, to the airdrop for the Karma Coin in a minute. But in the meantime, I want to talk to you about this film that I saw that determined the subject for this week's this week's show. And that I mean, it's not a show. This week's conversation, and that is. Um, this film, They Are Trying to Kill Us, that I was uh, happy to get the opportunity to see because when I saw it, I realized something that I think I partly knew, but it came home to me big time. Um, <clears throat> this is the link to the film, They're Trying to Kill Us.com. Yeah. And what it is, and I know Nina has seen it, and I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but it brought to my mind how tied together <clears throat> a lot of the big issues that we are dealing with are. <clears throat> In other words, uh, food injustice is connected to chronic disease, is connected to racism and and they are all the the major theme of the film and it, i don't mind spoiling it because it's a film where um <clears throat> it's a documentary so it's not a film where if you hear the end of it you know it's ruined it's a film where um where a whole bunch of people come together and it's made by a man named um the great black name of john lewis, lewis yeah. yeah which is now that name belongs to a guy whose twitter handle is um badass vegan mm -hmm. and um he he produced this film and the film is so controversial uh, that although it's been shown at film festivals, it can't get a commercial release. So they've taken it on the road um, <clears throat> and and they're showing it sort of as a cult film. And I, I'll give you some more information about it. It was executive produced by Chris Paul and Billie Eilish. And it was produced by... Keegan Kuhn, who is the same guy who produced um, What the Health and Cowspiracy. So you can, you can imagine 
you can imagine what the subject is. And if you don't know, I'm sure people will help me tell you. Nina, what did you think when you saw the film? Thank you. I've seen it twice. So the first time for me um, was just trying to grapple with everything that was going on. The second time was really breaking it down and digesting and absorbing what was being exposed, I'm going to say. I'm vegan over 20 years. I am a vegan plant-based chef for a healthcare organization. So the statistics weren't shocking to me, but I've not in all the documentaries I've seen. And I was actually in the Invisible Vegan um, by Jasmine Leva. Um, I wasn't so shocked by it, but I was really appreciative of that it's come to the forefront. And I totally understand why John Lewis and Keegan Kahn are having challenges getting a Netflix or others to take it in its totality and not try to edit it and cut out their voice. So I really am enjoying it and I'm supporting it. And yeah, I'm continuing to talk about it and get others because they want to raise a hundred million for charity and they need 250,000 views. It's $20 to stream. So I'm doing everything in my power to raise that and get people that may not even have the $20 to be able to see it. Thank you. This is Nina. I'm complete. Oh yes. <clears throat> By the way, if you don't have $20 and you want to see the film, um, just ping me on the back channel and I'll pay for you to see the film. It's really necessary to see because yes, be, because I don't think you, you can understand what's being done to us. And it's being really done to all of us, um, but mostly like everything else, mostly for marginalized communities. The people who have the most to, so to speak, lose um, <clears throat> are the people in marginalized communities who live in food deserts. And the point, the point that he makes in the film, well, he, everybody actually, the point that they all make in the film is that here I'm going to give you the uh, I'm going to give you the free karma coin by editing out this link for a while. And I think the whole uh, the also the amazing part is this is Heyman. Sorry, on all three platforms there. Go. Um, so the I think the amazing part is the fact that they've actually got on several of the notable people from the community itself. Uh, to express their concerns and speak to the people, right? Because they are the purveyors of uh, culture. And I mean, they are the ones who are listened to, right? So I think hip hop has a huge influence in this, uh, uh, in this documentary. And if you look at the website um, and look at the people who actually were part of it, it's, it's amazing. And there's also, they've actually reached out to not only the artists, the community, the creators in the space, um, and so I, I hope that it reaches more people and hopefully someone would actually sponsor this and have this like be played at every uh, school. And, uh, you know, th this should get more airplay than most other things, honestly, because it talks about the food access, food deserts, nutritional, environmental racism, diet related diseases, racial disparities of disease, government corruption, animal cruelty, climate change and how hip-hop can actually save the world. That's what their ultimate goal is with this uh, documentary. For me, the biggest thing was when the pork farmer got on there. Oh, of yes. course, they, they showed the usual, not the usual, but they showed a great many things that they show in vegan films, which is how animals, you know, includes how animals are raised and... Uh, slaughtered and how inhumane it is. And they listened. They had on somebody from South Carolina who was a pig farmer. And this this was so incredible. 
This guy was so open about what he does. He's like, yeah, and we clean out these waste pens maybe once a month. And yeah, they crap right into this place where they're living. And yeah, I, I imagine there's some sickness involved. And then at the end, he has this interview and, and he doesn't um, he doesn't try to say, yep, you know, uh, this is good for you. He doesn't try to paste over it with anything good. He says, I spent the first 25 years of my career killing people with tobacco because this used to be a tobacco farm. And now I've spent the last 30 years killing them with pork. And, and he's like, yeah, this is my career. This has been my career. And it's like, you know, you, if you're really listening you jump out of your mind because you, you, this is how you breed pork. Okay, so then you take it further. Who is the pork sold to? The pork is sold to mainly marginalized communities where it is eaten as part of the culture. And I hope I don't make an inadvertently structural racist comment during this i'm gonna try so hard not to but you, you have to understand that even though i am part of the coalition of the whites who are willing um i, I you know I, I still am white and so what happens is this food gets sold in supermarkets in uh, a lot of black and brown communities where it is eaten as part of a food culture where it has earned the name soul food. And the people who are eating it are, are three or four generations down from being slaves. And they have somehow dissociated it from the fact that it was the garbage that came out of the master's quarters, like, you know, like the innards of things and the throwaway parts of things and sausage and stuff like that. And, and they, it's, it is now a part of the heart of black culture, this soul food, and it's causing this culture to have chronic diseases that people who don't eat like this don't have. And the reason that it's difficult to get people to change their diet is because they're not just giving up their food. They're giving up their tradition. It's so also accessibility it's, though, right? It's also the food what, deserts. That was a big issue that was raised. Cost. So cost to me, perspective of a butcher, uh, cost to me and quality to me. Uh, how you take care of that animal in its lifetime, as well as the way in which it's butchered, has a big impact on the quality of the meat, the taste of the meat. What happens is if they don't have a good quality of life, or if they're like, let's say, for example, slow blood, uh, there's going to be a lot of stress hormones built up in that meat and in their blood that ultimately has an impact on actual taste and uh, marketability of uh, food. That is, if it is, you know, seen as less than quality meat or easily accessible, you get a bunch for a low price. That's more likely what community barbecues are going to be hosting. And it does get put into certain uh, community groups through generation. I would like to add, this is Nina, because um, I have a slightly different perspective. Uh, ancestrally and culturally, and I've traveled to Africa and around the world. Uh, I was last in Senegal cooking. The The food, if we're, we're going to talk about food, uh, a lot of people eat pork, not just those underprivileged. So we can talk about uh, whether an animal's quality of life and then is killed to be eaten by humans. But I think it's important to understand culturally um, the black people, the Africans brought over here, had a diet that was very rich and, and very abundant and very sound in 
fruits and vegetables and legumes and seeds and nuts. And when we were um, not by our will, my ancestors brought over here, it wasn't just um, what we were given. And I've studied this as a culinarian. We were able to turn things that weren't of our natural diet into something we could eat. And my ancestors weren't the only ones that ate it. Their masters ate it too because they made it taste so good. So when we're talking about, especially in they're trying to kill us, this film and the pork farms, it's to me what I tapped into because I know a lot of African-Americans that do not even touch pork. Muslims don't touch pork. Um, there are a lot of people that don't touch pork. So let's make sure that's not the thing that most of the people I know, families and friends are eating. We're a bit past that. The thing that I think is important to realize is the way that these animals are being raised and the environmental um, aspects that are reverberating out. Dr. Francis, as, as you know, watching the film and those others, how the stench and the smell went out more than a mile and the um, what's you know, then put into the water. So now we're not talking about just a group of people, a race of people. We're talking about this is affecting us all when you look at the water quality. And yes, underprivileged to even have fresh water, that's a huge problem. But that's where I saw these things really coming out. But it is affecting us all. I'm, I'm doing a room called Food Security. Who really has it? Um, but I think I'm very, very careful and, and understanding Yes, there are food deserts. I prefer to call them food apartheid because studies have shown that it is strategically planned to put liquor stores and fast food restaurants in um, communities that one would determine to be underserved. I've lived, I'm from LA, I've lived in Beverly Hills and all over Southern California and Northern California. I never saw a liquor store when I lived in Beverly Hills for 15 years never came in. So, you know, when you pull back the lens and you look at and what I believe and in speaking with uh, John Lewis, what I believe his intent was to really do is show how strategically these things are planned. He talks about in the film, when you look at um, indigenous people here, I'm from Lumbee Indian uh, lineage, North Carolina. Um, you see they even have it worse. And he really touches on that. And I appreciate that. But let's pull back this lens and, and look at the global and then macro micro aspect of all this. Thank you. This is Nina. I'm complete. Oh, Nina, I'm so happy you came to help me out with this because you know so much more than I do. I just saw this film and I was appalled. But the things that appall me are different from the things that appall you because my knowledge base is different. And and here's the thing. There were about 20 rappers in that film, hip-hop artists. Some I recognized and some I didn't. And I thought to myself, well, this is wonderful. It's all going to change. And then the same farmer, I think, said that the way that they slaughter the animals produces stress hormone that communicates to the meat. And so it doesn't matter if you're eating the very best meat on the planet, if the animal was slaughtered in a way that stressed it out before it died, um, you're going to get that as part of you. It's gonna be inside you. That is totally correct. And Dr. Francine, if we can take it a step further, just past, okay, I'm a vegan for a reason. Um, past Would you the, do me a favor and plug your club? Oh, and I'll thank you. I have, um, I have uh, Plantish, P-L-A-N-T apostrophe I-S-H on Clubhouse. And I host the rooms every Saturday, 8 a.m., Pacific Standard Time. So thank you for that. I did want to bring to light what I really loved also that was pointed out 
was, you know, a lot of those um, incarcerated who don't have a choice for the work they're choosing to do are the ones that are slaughtering these animals. And the mental health um, issues that are happening, how it pointed out Dr. Francine and those that saw the film may remember how the different people that spoke and they weren't identified, of course, rightfully so, spoke about how, and, and the, the studies that have been done shown how you have to be pretty um, desensitized, right? Day in, day out, how many quotas do they have to meet? How many chickens do they have to kill? How many pigs do they have to kill? And how this starts to desensitize, but all how this also is then creating more domestic challenges, more anger, more viciousness. And so you have these people incarcerated for whatever reasons, I'm not judging, that we're trying to reform. And then you have them doing this kind of work. And then you're maybe going to put them back out into the system and this anguish that has been put on them. So while we're talking about, and I'm an advocate for animals, definitely to be a voice, I'm an advocate for human rights just in general. I don't human rights before race is something that was created. We are all human beings first. And so I think we have to look at this. And that's what I love so much about what this documentary brought together. I'm watching it a third time because there's so much to digest. No pun intended. This is Nina. I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, Nina, I'm crying. And that for two reasons. One reason is that my foster son is in prison and he did not have a choice of where they sent him to work. And they sent him, uh, they sent him to Hickman's egg farm, you know, where he sees the chickens in the same conditions as the meat. And um, the, the whole time that he lived with me, he was vegan, but he can't adhere to that in prison because they took away the privileges for the special diets and they pay him 40 cents an hour to go out and work on the, um, the egg farm. And his, his mental health was not good when he went in, which is how he happened to be on drugs, which is why he happened to be in there. So it's like, it's such a, the word systemic is overused, but yeah, it's a human race problem, a big one. And also, and add to that, excuse me, this is Serena with the chickens. Every male chicken is killed right away because there's no use. They can't lay eggs. So think about the psychological impact of that. <laughs> And to add to Nina's universality of this issue, too, I think uh, there was a quote, uh, there's evidence that came out that said um, food insecurity in the black African-American population is 21 percent, while in the indigenous is 27 percent. And also, I wanted to bring Amanda from Twitter Spaces on. She sent something from Midwest, right? Kansas area, I think. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I... And also call in as well. All three platforms are connected. And anyone on call in, too, please chime in right after. Thanks. Thanks so much, Heyman. This is Amanda over on Twitter. Um, I yeah, the, the, I I feel like I've had this rich experience of um, many different cultures, many different ge- different geographies. I'm from Kansas City, but I'm all, I'm originally from this teeny tiny little town in southwestern Kansas. And back home, people have these license plates on the front, like just you know, pla- it's not like a regular license plate, but they all say "Eat Beef." It's white with red letters. My son is nine, almost nine. Um, he started asking questions about a year or two ago. He, he would ask, is this, is this from a chicken? Are there still more chickens? Are there still more pigs? So if he wants to be a vegetarian, hey, that's great. If he wants to be vegan, that's great. Um, but I'm also an archaeologist and anthropologist. I've, I've been in many different cultures and I've seen many different practices, many different, you know, this is what we eat here. This is what we do here. Um, so thank you for the, for the very interesting conversation. I am actually homeless. 
Um, long story. We won't get it. I won't. We won't get into it now. But I would love to see this documentary. How can we if help? Can reach out. Um, that's a big question. <laughs> but you can you find can, me on okay. Twitter. If yeah, you, I, I, if you follow Hardaway on Twitter and okay. DM me who you are, and okay. I will, okay. I will Venmo you the money to see the film. And um, I would love to. Yes, I'm. I'm definitely would like to uh, make it possible for you to see the film. Is this at Hardaway? Like the uh, I'll DM you. I'll DM you. Oh, yeah. Thanks, thanks Heyman. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you thank so you. much for this conversation. I'm just wondering if I can chime in, Heyman. This is Sequoia. Oh, please do, Doctor Francine. I mean, Doctor Francine. Yeah. Of, co- of course, Sequoia. Yeah. Um, so I have an experience that may have some bearing on this. Um, I, when I, I grew up in the islands in the Marianas Islands in the Pacific, Guam being the biggest known one, but I lived on some of the smaller ones too. And the diabetes rate in these outer islands has gone, it has skyrocketed over the last 50 years, 70 years since World War II. And it's not because they ate pig, because they ate pig before. It is because the, the food that they're eating is garbage. I think we should be having more of a conversation about where the food comes from and how it's growing and less of a conversation about what kind of food or what diet, because there's, there's a lot of cultural components to that, as I think most people are aware. Um, and really what was clear, it was the USDA food program after World War II in the Micronesian Islands. They were sending them cheese and this canned pork that you're talking about and garbage food. And that is what has caused the diabetes rate to skyrocket. They eat spam, they eat all these other foods. And it's horrific. And it, again, it's about getting people back to being able to grow their own food. So here in Silicon Valley, we have done that. We are trying to do that in all of our communities. At the Open Space Authority, we identified the key areas in the community that needed to have things like urban gardens close to them. And we partner with nonprofits like Valle Verde, which really rolls stuff out into the Latino community here. We also have Vegolution, which is a longstanding San Jose-supported garden right in the middle of the the densest part of San Jose in a, in a food desert. So we have to give people the tools to grow their own food, which is going to be vegetables, right? People aren't going to have animals at home in apartments. And this is where we can see us starting to get some justice back. Um, that's just my two cents as a policymaker in this for many years and what I saw growing up in Micronesia. Thanks for the time. Oh, yes. Uh, I'd like to weigh in as well, when possible. Please. Yay. So thank you all so much. Um, Thank you, uh, Dr. Francine, um, because I know we talked about it along with Elijah Joy, uh, respectfully for the Blacks, about um, this movie. So I have not been able to see it yet because, again, (laughs) I do Black issues, issues, and there's so many issues. So there's a food desert. They're trying to kill us. Uh, you know, uh, toxic food, no place to get healthy food. Healthy food is too expensive to afford issue. That's a black issue. There's also the Black Friday. and Blurgent. Thank you. These are, thank you. Thank you for helping me with my own brand. Yes. Blurgent, black and urgent issue. There's also the black and urgent issue, blurgent issue of uh, Black Friday that's coming up. And how much of this, uh, hold on here. I have the research here. It's like, $114 $114 billion that can actually go towards Black-owned businesses that are spent every year, right? Because um, I'm doing research on that. So it's like, oh, this is so many issues. So with all that, I was not able to watch the movie yet because I'm doing all this research about spending power um, and Black Friday for the Blacks. So um, what I'll share is more my, you know, my life and, and, and how I'm actually, I don't even get to talk about me being passionate about food uh, because I'm so busy trying to end racism. But thank you so much, Sequoia, for what you stated. Um, and also Nina for the Blacks for what was stated around the notion of uh, let's point the finger squarely where it needs to be, right? This is not a as much of an issue about food um, choices in their natural state. 
It is the food industrial complex. It is big agra, big pharma, big, you know, retail, Olive Garden, Chipotle, you know, um, it's that. That's the Cisco. Problem. Cisco, right. Um, what is it? Sargenta, I think it is. Um, and um, there was another co- company that gives all the food to both um, schools and also to prisons. Um, Cisco. 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 Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So, you know, that's really the problem, right? When you when you put a price on food, right? You are then making it clear as day that it is profit over people. So the hyper-manufacturing of meat, major issue. I've known that for 20 years. I've been vegan. And again, this is not to shame people who eat meat, but I've known, I've known this for 20 years. I've been vegan for 20 years. This is, this is not news to me, right? It's the reason why when you go to Texas, rah, 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 and it was mentioned um, earlier with, with the license, like, grab meat, right? They're literally showing you, right, that all that adrenaline, all that stress hormone, right, that is oozing out of these animals is what you then imbue in yourself and, 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 and then share it as if this is some type of like pillar of your humanity. So it's, it's literally there. Right. And when you look at, when you look at our culture, American culture, whatever the hell that is, right. And you look at the Super Bowl, which is a bastardized ritual, right. What are people, what do you do? You're watching football, which is already a hyper adrenaline sport where they're beating each other up. And then you're eating, you're eat, rah, 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 you're, eat, you're, you're, you're told to eat, right? You're told, go on, gorge yourself. And then they show you Pepsi AC, Pepto-Bismol commercials. I don't know if y'all have noticed this. They do right. the whole And they recommend cycle. a colonoscopy. Don't forget yep. the, the yeah, colonoscopy. Yeah, shout, shout out to Chadwick Bozeman, who I did go to Howard University with. H-U, you know. I actually knew him at Howard. That's what he died of. He died of colon cancer, which is skyrocketing in the community to the point that they're now mandating colonoscopies to be earlier than 45. So what does all this mean? When you go to some fancy restaurant, I laugh, okay? When you go to some fancy restaurant, Porterhouse, Houston's, all these, fan, you know, really fancy, and Houston's ain't even all that fancy. This fancier than Houston's, but Houston's, a lot of people know, right? Whatever the steakhouse is, right? And you're, you're the aged beef, right? And they show you the, the beef is just there, like bricks of beef, right? And yeah, USDA, it's bullshit. Because you're paying a lot of money pre- for this premium um, filet mignon or whatever cut it is, and it's still industrialized meat. I laugh. You could have fucking charged me $100, $200, $400 for what? For what? Right? That's why I don't go to any of these restaurants. They're filthy. I used to work in restaurants. I used to, I used to be the worst waitress. I was like, okay, you really think that this Diet Coke is really going to save your life here when you're done had extra bacon on the on the baked potato. I tried to tell you to just get the baked potato. No. Like is you know what I'm saying? And I you, you had extra ranch dressing on the thing. Yes. You asked for all of these extra toppings that are as, as unhealthy as possible. And then you want to stress me out because I didn't put the the because yeah, this is not diet. <laughs> I, used to, I used to look at it like whatever, like <laughs> just did me. <laughs> and it's like the level of awareness people would need to be in order to really make healthy food choices, it, the level of cognitive dissonance for that to happen, their brains would explode and they would resent all these. And most people don't want to do that because Coca-Cola says open happiness. Da, 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 I'm loving it is McDonald's. So they're very good at branding these companies in ways in which it is an extension of what it is to be an American. It is an extension of joy, open happiness. Literally, that's Coca-Cola's brand. It's an extension of your freedom and your whiteness and your ability to be an American. Eat all the meat you want. See, I think that's a good point because I think the whole point of the movie, sorry about that. Yeah. And that's why, um, you know, when you, when you go to these restaurants, Red Lobster, where are they getting this fish from? Where are they, you know, and if you, you want to talk about like, not just the way that they treat the animals, but the way that they treat the workers. Okay. There's people dying in, 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 in Malaysia, in the Philippines, in, in, all over the world to source some of the seafood that we want to have, like all you can eat buffet at Red Lobster. Okay. Like we really need to look at the complicitness in our capitalistic consumption. Literally it's cannibalistic and the meat is killing us. And that's not, that, that is a, that is a black issue, but that's all of us. Everybody who goes to these fancy restaurants, anybody, anybody that goes to these big box restaurants, I've worked, I worked at Pizzerino Uno's. 
everything is in a box. <laughs> it's in a box. It's frozen. It's shipped every Tuesday. It's little Ziploc bags with little labels. And then they get somebody in the back to, uh, to, zip, to cut open the little Ziploc bag, step, throw it into a little saucepan. They do it for like five minutes and then bang. And then I, as a waitress, come to you with a smile on my face and go, here. It's all bullshit. Isn't it but again, also- I'm sitting there... I'm also I'm trying to um, solve actual racism, but I'm actually very passionate about this. And and again, most people we're not marching in the streets for this. We're not. So demanding. I see. <laughs> yeah, I see. We're you're not demanding because you said I can't speak, and here yeah. you are. <laughs> but and I'll be done now because I still have to finish what I'm doing for the for my Black Friday uh, buyer guide I'm, um, about sorry. corporate responsibility and the, and the brands that we support instead of these companies that don't care about us um, for the sustainability of humanity and Black people and everything else that we hold dear, right? Um, but the last thing I'll share is, you know, when when we start to realize that you can put all the seasonings you want, <laughs> right? You can, you can air fry it. You can saute it. You can do all of these things, but the root of it is toxic. They just cut out the pus. They cut out the little tumors. I read, I read African Holistic Health book when I was 13 years old. I've known this two-thirds of my life, okay? They use, sometimes they use ammonia in the, in the supermarkets to clean the meat. They're doing all kinds of horrible things. And because it's seasoned well, you know, or it's packaged in little plastic, and they put a little how much it is by the pound, we eat it, and we're like, okay, great. And all the thing that we're doing, or they throw, or they is, throw a mango on it and call it exotic or something, right? And so when, when we go in, <laughs> being, <laughs> we go in the store being discerning, thinking how much can I save, right? Well, if it, it's four nineteen a pound this week, but it might be three nineteen. I'll wait till next. No, it's not about the cost, right? That's immediate. I'm talking about the, the human cost. I'm talking about the cost to people's health and quality of life, which is disproportionately going to detrimentally impact Black communities. So with that, we're Black of full of the Blacks, all of the Blacks, the Blacks that are eating industrialized meat, the Blacks that can, can afford uh, uh, organic farm, you know, um, uh, free, free. And that's another, that's another joke when they're like um, uh, f- uh, grazing cows. No, they're not. Grass-fed. Grass-fed is not grass. They're not actually eating grass on on the, the you know, the pasture. They're still locked up and they just shove them grass. <laughs> yeah. So I'm for the Blacks that go into debt trying to buy organic grass-fed meats. Done speaking. Hi, this is Heyman on all three platforms. I'm just wondering, though, should we be also thinking, because the fact is we are a, somewhat of a privileged crowd, right? Because we have access to time and we have access to data and we're on all these three platforms. Like for my experience, as a, I've actually driven through these spaces and, you know, rural and inner city. And oftentimes the people who are the most impacted don't even have that choice of what meat they could get right? Or they don't have the choice of seafood, or they don't have the choice of vegetables in their local market. Uh, they often end up uh, buying whatever is there or even whatever is in a can. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, food insecurity, I mean, in food banks has been going up. And oftentimes, I've worked in a food bank, oftentimes the food that's donated is often the worst kind of food. Uh, people don't think about uh, what the expired cans, right? Or even the, the cheapest, like or, the sugary, fatty boxes. foods. Right. right. And canned beans. And they think that this is what people want. And maybe that's also another thing. And I think that one of the biggest uh, things that food banks have always said is, please give money because then we could actually buy food that's nutritive and also something local, too. Um, so I'm just wondering whether we should be also thinking in terms of the, the hardest hit during this pandemic were the ones. I think most pantries food. actually buy food. Yes. Now they do. Yeah. Most, pantry, most I, pantries have been purchasing food. I can actually speak to that as someone who is homeless currently. And uh, I've, I've been in. I've, oh, sorry, this is Amanda on Twitter Spaces. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is Amanda. I'm sorry. I, I'm just looking at Heyman like, oh, there's my buddy Heyman. And the rest of you cannot see me. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Um, yeah, I, I, I've been through the system. Uh, there, there, was a, there was one place. It was a transitional housing unit where you could stay for three, three to six months. You could not spend your money on anything. And if you had to, like for gas to get to work, they would try to give you gas cards. Every penny, literally every penny had to be accounted for. 
you could not go to the grocery store. You had to get everything from the pantry. It, we, we never got produce. We never got bread. We really didn't have meat either. It was a lot of rice and beans and peanut butter. And there's this sense of you must be grateful for this. You have to be grateful for what you have. Even though you've had macaroni like every day for weeks. Um, so th- there is that. But there, uh, there also is a uh, sequoia. If you're still here, I would love to connect with you. In my archaeology work, I worked in Fiji a tiny little island called Niao, 400 people, no electricity, no running water. I hear you. Oh my gosh. I I would love to connect with you and and speak more. I'll connect both of you. And also one thing is Dollar General is sometimes the grocery store. I don't know, sure. Nina, you're more aware of all this, but I'm wondering in recent uh, reports that Dollar General is a go-to place for groceries. How many of us on either one, any of these stages go to Dollar General to get their groceries or meats, but that sometimes this is, is the only option. I do. Yeah. Yep. So that's the only option in most of these places. So I'm wondering, like those are the majority of people who may not be on this platforms right now. Okay. Right, this uh, is Nina. Nina. Oh, go ahead, Nina. No, Dr. Francine, I'll go after you. I just want to contribute to some of okay. the things. Well, and can I ask to... Amanda where, where she's residing What where is she that, that they're doing these kinds of, oppressive tactics because i live in washington dc you can't make black people do some shit like that kansas city missouri and also lucia's on the call-in side in paris i'm not sure uh lucia do you know anything about what the situation is in paris oh she might be just running to the phone right now as we speak so go ahead sorry <laughs> i'm here go lucia there you go yeah. hi hi um in Paris, well, you know that um, French people really like food. We like to eat. We are really picky. And um, I think France is one of the countries with the most, um, how to say that, uh, um, complicated law regarding food. We need, uh, uh, we need to have, like, to, to know where the food is from, the meat is from. And um, there's really, like, um, how to say that? We're really following uh, the journey of the meat from the beginning to the end, most of the time, but not only. Uh, however, uh, the situation right now with the pandemic that a lot of people uh, lost their job, a lot of students have some difficulty to be able to eat properly. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so all these uh, store uh, selling processed food in the low rates are really like um, popular right now. And, uh, and uh, yes, it's like everywhere in the world, processed food is really bad with really low quality, uh, super sugary. And yeah, it's really complicated. And uh, to talk about um, the food bank, uh, this is the same problem that uh, you already described. Um, especially yes, every year at the end of the year, they're always asking people to contribute. Uh, but it's actually better to to give money so they can buy what they need instead of um, donate because most of the time people don't know they donate like really low quality of food or what they don't want or what uh, expired food, like you said. So it's more or less the same thing. Uh- Aram, on to you. We're, we have to rip through the rest of the, the people who want to speak, though. Does this film speak to Feeding America and the shit show that that is at all? No, I don't think it even mentions no. No. Feeding America. So, yeah, you, you should watch it, Elijah, and then we'll have another conversation about it. Aram? Yes. Hi, Dr. Francine. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good, but we're all in a big hurry here to be heard from in the next 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so they are trying to kill us. Uh, I just joined the room and did not get the whole, uh, you know, the scenario. But uh, I do know that the food pantries are deficient, uh, very low here. We are having a food drive in our local area. Trying to Where's here? Where are uh, Louisiana. I'm in Louisiana. Oh. Okay. 
So yes, we are, uh, you know, trying to get as much as possible. And uh, the food bank locally is also collecting money and donation. So that's all I can share for right now because I don't know the uh, room's um, topic okay. of discussion. Okay, thanks. Tom, did you... Um, really quick did thing, um, uh, Dr. Francine, uh, there's quite a few people uh, in my DMs right now requesting to get on stage and still say, but I know, you know, in terms of time and things like that, and then I'm also uh, doing 90,000 other things to, to solve uh, 400 years of racism, so I can't manage all the DMs and moving or whatever. Okay, so, so this is want... what we should do, yeah. because this is obviously there's... a huge question. Um, we should have this room again. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we would have to have it again in two weeks. But how would that be? That would be great. But can I just add, I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but the way we start feeding our kids, the formula, instead of encouraging breast milk, and also when you look at kids' menu at restaurants, the menus that are offered for kids, the trash that we feed our children, you know, um, that needs to be paid attention to. Another thing, yes, we hear about the dirty dozen foods that we shouldn't buy um, that's conventionally grown, like strawberries, all the thin fruits that should be bought organically. But uh, we should have like a list of foods that are inexpensive, when I go to Costco, I see pineapples and they're relatively inexpensive and they're so good for you. Mm -hmm. So we need a list of foods that are inexpensive, that are excellent um, for people who cannot afford to buy organic strawberries or those foods are not available in their community. I'm from the Caribbean and I see once uh, when I grew up there, there were no fast food places, but they have moved in diabetes is on the rise now people are so overweight they're no longer cooking at home and yes we need to change the way we eat because i always like that and we are digging our graves with our knives and forks yes and oh boy could we have another room about that because um, I, I believe that a lot of these chronic diseases can be reversed by food. But mm -hmm. Tom, did you want to say something? You asked to come up on stage. Tom Moorhead. Dr. Francine, uh, if uh, I may, uh, I do have a share right now after Tom is done. Okay. Uh, he's not saying anything. So, and also just okay. to uh, yes, sorry, I, I, I did I did look at the headline right here, and I agree Thanks. with you hundred percent. It's not only the food choices, the preservatives, the chemicals that are chronically our bodies are being exposed to over time, six to eight years. These chemicals, these pesticides, and herbicides accumulate and cause diseases in the body. The research is there. Certain, um, you know, can spaces not the spaces the agencies outside of us have banned these chemicals but it's they are still allowed in us which is mind-boggling and there are so many um uh, studies out there proving from 1950s the uh, the potential of sugar to cause cancer and so many other diseases and uh, that is allowed as a food choice until now is mind-boggling for me. Um, all the fast food uh, restaurants and what kind of quality of meat that they use and the hydrogenated oil and the breading and everything along with those carbonated sugar-filled drinks are a recipe, recipe for disaster and a disease creation in the making all along and if we see all the latest uh, data the graphs are going up exponentially like there is only one thing that has gone down which is life expectancy and diabetes rate uh, unusual presentation in pediatric population over the past two years has gone up 182 percent the heart disease and the chronic metabolic syndrome associated uh, disease uh, you know long term have gone up tremendously despite of fda's uh, you know changes in the fat as an enemy previously which is not true so uh, totally everything is working against the health conducing um, um you know diet uh, and lifestyles and i'm i'm just 
you know, I don't know what's happening. Uh, we have to take responsibility, spread the news and knowledge and take charge. Money is not the issue. The amount you spend on a happy meal can be easily replaced, used for healthy diet. It's about the mindset. There are people who I work with, instead of buying, uh, 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 you know, like a fast food restaurant meal, now they go to the local grocery shop and buy certain fruits and vegetables and eat that. It's all about the mindset. It's, um, uh, not everything has to though. be organic. Not right, everything yeah. has to be organic. Yes. Uh, eating the, those fruits and vegetables does not, uh, you know, <laughs> no, but I it's mean, going it, to be 100 times less than eating anything from the fast food restaurant. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Sorry, is Noelle Stewart, I think, wanted to chime in there? Wait, okay, Rick hasn't spoken oh. either. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, hi, thank you very much. Uh, a lot of these problems are things that we have known for many, many years. The problem is how the the solution is how how do we change people's behavior and perception? Obviously, we've seen through the pandemic and through the vaccines that reason and facts are very ineffective at this. So we have to th think of some other ways to try to do this. Um, in California, on January 1st, um, they, they have a new law that pork products sold within the state have to adhere to certain standards of, of you know, they can't have the, the caged pork anymore. That's a very small step. It's probably going to raise the price of pork considerably. Uh, when prices go up, maybe people will find other things to buy. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be an effective, uh, an effective thing to start to try to change people's behavior. It has you need to, you need to see this film, Rick. I know, yeah. I know where you're going with changing people's behavior, but if you could see the number of forces arrayed on the other side, you know, the, the amount of money the big food industry and the big agriculture industry and the, and even the government in the form of subsidies and choices for school lunches puts into the other side. You know, it's sure we can always say, yeah, those people, they should just learn blah, blah, blah. But that's not, it's not that easy because it's an entire cultural uh thread you know that that's supported by all, all our institutions um, and this is amanda and you're right that easy, i would be doing that it's urban planning as well yeah. if you go and think, look into those sorry, areas I'm, there are no uh, grocery stores available and there are rampant fast food restaurants yeah and, right. so i'd like to could i speak on urban planning yeah, please urban planning. oh sorry think, amina sorry yeah, um, uh, so quickly, I think, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Rablaka for the Blacks. Kanene, I appreciate you. Uh, I came in when, when she was dropping some real, real gems. Um, I think the she first part, yeah, she does. Uh, I think the first part is the, is, is the idea of food banks and our need for them. We, we don't need food banks. We're just feeding into the mentality of scarcity, um, really. And I think, um, you know, that's sort of the part that I came in where Kanina, I think, was speaking. And really what we're doing is um, we, we, we are moving back into the Victorian era, essentially, uh, by uh, what we're seeing with, with um, you know, the expansion of essentially um, austerity measures that are coming out right now. Um, social service cuts and uh, this idea of the rapid expansion of uh, food banks as being the philanthropic um, thing that needs to happen to sort of deal with our food security issues but food banks were a stopgap they were never supposed to be a permanent solution um and we've made the most permanent solution through branding and promoting social enterprises as the solutions that's that's not the solution at all um and we're just going to continue to see uh our backwards movement back into the victorian era and i could list all the ways in which we are currently doing that right now with numerous policies <laughs> um and the huge gaps uh, that we're seeing um, uh, between classes of people. But from an urban planning point of view, I work as a, as a city planner 
And one of the, some of the things that uh, I push for, whether it's through motions um, or through work on the ground or with community is we've got a lot of land. So urbanite through urbanization, what we ended up seeing is that um, the utility of urban land lost its um, urban land, lost its utility and its utility for the utility for land for the most part was the production of food um, of some sort. Right. Um, or and that became mostly a rural land uh, condition. Um, and the utility of urban land became speculation and land speculation um, and wealth accumulation, unfortunately. And as a result, there were all sorts of measures put in place through bylaws at the local level, permitting, like not permitting, uh, essentially making, um, you know, food growth illegal. Uh, so it would have to be confined away from, you know, uh, the road, from 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 your neighbors, right? It was considered a nuisance. And so you still do have across many North American cities um, uh, bylaws essentially that do not permit one to grow food in their front yard, um, side yards, boulevards, etc. cetera. Um, where I live in in Vancouver, uh, fortunately, we, we, we are a leader um, in that area uh, to some extent uh, with regards to allowing urban farming. Um, urban agriculture, et cetera. Um, and essentially it's where people can use or lease out their front lawns um, to grow food and to grow healthy food. And so then the owner gets a portion of that food. Um, and then there are other uh, individuals within the community who, who take it to uh, farmer's markets. And you can end up having, uh, if it's really conducted really well, you can ha- end up having like enough farmer's markets that are at the neighborhood level. Like we could feed people at the neighborhood level if we actually were navigating the system and, um, figuring out how to sort of uh, advocate, have more advocates uh, at city levels to ensure that some of these, some of these outdated laws were sort of removed. Um, One thing that we're currently pushing for is the idea of laneway foodways. So we've got a lot of laneways um, that are primarily used for cars. So reclaiming laneways um, essentially is one way uh, to allow uh, them to grow into foodways, for example, is one thing that we're pushing for. A lot of the times laneways do get, um, uh, developed uh, and consolidated into uh, whatever development is happening. So if there's uh, an affordable housing development, then the laneway will be consolidated into that often. Um, and then it's often used, laneways are often used, uh, the conflict is in relation to commercial entities uh, needing access through the laneway for, um, you know, pickup of uh, trash or vehicles and things of that nature. So a lot oh, of Oh, I just figured out what a laneway was. A laneway, a laneway. What, what an we alleyway. call is an alley. Yes. Yeah. In they're the not, United they're, States, we don't I call know. it. I'm in, I'm in Canada. I'm in Canada. I know. I just, <laughs> I'm just trying to do the translation so that everyone can understand. Yeah. Um, I, we, we have about two minutes, and I want to use that two minutes to um, put up the link to the bonfire airdrop because I want to give you a Thanksgiving gift from the Karma Club Um, and thanks for showing up and listening and taking part in these discussions. They, They mean so much to me because they mean that the word on what needs to be done is getting out. And so if you click on the bonfire link, you you will, the link that, that Heyman has pinned now, you will get uh, two free karma coins for Thanksgiving. And I love you all. And we will all see each other in two weeks. And we will have another, yes, you can, Rebecca. We will have another room um, on food justice. Rebecca wanted to um, have the last word, and it's a th- soft plug for her own room. Yay. Not work, sorry. Okay, um, I'll put mine up now, and then you can switch it right back, um, Dr. Francine, for the blocks. Oh, my goodness, I didn't even realize I'm up to 19,000 followers. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, for the Blacks, again, I'm always thinking about the intersection of racism and Black issues, right? So whether it be food, whether it be entrepreneurship, whether it be education, healthcare, um, what what are these policies doing for the Blacks? So tonight I'm at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm opening up a room because I'm start I'm launching with this other company called Times Black, the For the Blacks Buyer Guide. So I've been spending a lot of research over the past uh, few days and weeks. That's why I haven't really been on Clubhouse that much. Um, it's going to be a very robust report 
on uh, mainstream or white owned or whatever those companies are, Fortune 500 companies um, that are doing things to support black owned businesses or support black communities and also to amplify black owned businesses that we can be spending our disproportionate amount of money this Black Friday. So it's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight. Um, If you have any recommendations for black owned businesses or any recommendations for corporations that are doing things that are, you know, in support of the black community, literally for the blacks um if you want to help out to help build out the website um or if you just want to tweet out hashtag for the blacks buyer guide um and help with the twitter storm uh social media please come to my room tonight it's 7 p.m eastern standard time for the blacks really excited to hear from all of you or let people know the link is there and i think um francine you're going to switch it black to the other link about the encyclopedia, uh, just so that other people can get that. But thank you so much, Dr. No, the Karma, the Karma coin. Yeah. It was a Karma, right. it was Karma coin. Yes. And I've actually notified All the Twitter right. Spaces as well as Colin Crowd. will also will have that information shortly as well. That is wonderful. Happy Thanksgiving, every everybody in America and not in America, because we can we can do give thanks. Um, for the food we are given, whether we are American or anything else. So it's really not uh, national. Gratitude is international, global, planetary. And if if, uh, the rich men in America have anything to do with it, space as well. So (laughs) we are grateful for everything we have and everything we can have and everything um, that we can choose. Have a good day. Have a good Thanksgiving. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us on the Twitter spaces and call inside. Um, Lucia, Avery, uh, Kieran, I'll send you guys the uh, link shortly. Uh, Yeah. So have a good day, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Heyman. Bye. Bye.